This episode of Mr. Benfica is dedicated to the memory of Emilio Andrade Jr., the number one ranking or number one senior Benfica socio out of 300,000 socios now. Uh, Tio Emilio, as he was known to those at the club, was the most senior socio, meaning he had been a socio the longest out of all 300,000. Rest in peace, and this one is for you, Tio Emilio. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to another episode. Welcome to episode 142 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host tonight. As always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And we got three first-team matches to talk about tonight, as well as some other stuff. We got a transfer window that closed. We got plenty to talk about there. And, of course, the ladies, women's football, lifting another trophy, winning the Super Cup, beating our arch-rivals, beating Sporting. In extra time, albeit, but beating them soundly 4-1 to one in Ladia. Uh, that goes back about a week. We got all that to talk about tonight, plus some other stuff, some other news that's in the league here. Um, so we've got lots and lots to go over. So let's get started. How is everyone doing? All right. Befica still top of the table. It was close this week. It was nervy. Um, three matches that did not go according to plan other than the first one, but keep in mind, as we talk about these matches, as we talk about these performances, about these results, keep in mind, okay, that this squad just played three matches in six days. That does not normally happen. Three matches in six days, not in a week, not in 10 days, in six days, okay? Um, a lot of people have also complained that, you know, we're not getting the squad rotation we'd like. Well, you know, take a look at uh, what's on the bench. Do I got to ask some Benfica fans this. Do you prefer to complain about Chiquinho and Diogo Salves being options off the bench? Or do you want to complain about not making, not rotating the squad and not making substitutions or not substitutions, but changing the eleven? You can't have it both ways, okay? The way I see it, what I can see from, from my couch, essentially, but I can see what I believe to be Roger Schmidt looking around and saying, I can't I can't rotate anybody right now. I don't have the horses to do that. Uh, you look at it, and, and who is he going to take out, okay? And who is he going to replace him with? There's a few things he could do, and he did do some changes. We saw Ba get a start here over over Gilberto. We saw that's basically the only change we saw, isn't it? Um, you know, players have left. Should we start there? I guess we can start there. Um, Ulian Weigel has moved on. He's gone on loan to Mönchengladbach. Uh, obviously, this is a player I'm very fond of. It's a player I wish all the best to, and I hope that uh, it works out for him. Um, and we'll see what the future holds. It's not necessarily over for him as a Benfica player. He doesn't fit into the team right now. He doesn't fit into the plans. But 12 months from now, we could have a whole different reality at the club. So it, the book's not closed on Julian Weigel. It is, however, closed uh, 
on Jan Vertonghen. Super Jan has gone back to Belgium to play for Anderlecht. Uh, he needs to play. There's no question. I mean, it, the timing was kind of uh, conspicuous, if you will. It was kind of unfortunate because Morato goes down injured. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get into the Vizela match. But Morato goes down injured, and Jan already had his deal done. I think it was obvious that the, the deal was already done, that Jan was going to go to Anderlecht because um, – Otherwise, I think we would have kept him and he would have started. He would have started, you know, tomorrow in the Champions League. That's right. Tomorrow, Champions League kicks off the group stage. Benfica hosting Maccabi Haifa at the Luge. So very excited about that. If we have some time today, we will get into that. We will uh, talk a little bit about it, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on Maccabi Haifa. Okay, this is a complete unknown to me. This is a football league that doesn't have visibility where I am, at least. I don't know where I would start to watch it. Um, maybe some of you know. I don't know. But I have no idea where I would start to watch the the Israeli league. Um, but Maccabi Haifa are the champions of Israel. So we'll have to wait and see what they have. But it's a must win for Benfica. And I know the energy levels, the tank is is diminishing a little bit here. And the team is desperately in need of some refresh, refreshing Desperately in need of of bringing on some fresher legs, if you will. And we did do this in the in the market. But before I talk about who came in, uh, also going out, not just Jan Vertonghen and not just Ulian Weigel, but also Roman Yadimchuk. Um, this one I'm a little sad about. I don't think he ever really got a full opportunity here at Benfica, and especially given everything that's gone on in the world and in his home you know, his home country, and who knows, you know, what the real impact on his immediate family and extended family is. It's probably very severe. Um, psychologically, I can't even imagine trying to play football with what this man is dealing with, but Roman Yadimchuk has moved on. He's also gone to Belgium. He's gone to Club Bruges or Brugge, however you want to pronounce it, and he's already gotten on the score sheet, which makes me wonder just what, you know, what could have been maybe, but uh, again, out of respect to a player that level, he needs to play, and we moved him on somewhere where he's going to be able to play. Also, Umaro Imbalo has left. He wasn't really in the plans. He wasn't even with the first team, but he has moved on to Fortuna in the ne in the Netherlands. I think a deal valued somewhere around five million euros. Okay. Um, also, Adel Terapt has moved on. I'm not going to sit here and dance and, and cheer about it. Okay. Everyone knows my feelings about Adel Tarapt. Um, I'm glad that he got his release because he, listen, on a on a human level, I want him to be able to play football as everyone should, and he's now free to go find a club. Um, you know, he was never going to be sold at at the wages he was on. Uh, that contract was never going to be bought by anybody else. I think we finally came to the conclusion, and I'm glad that. An agreement was met to to facilitate his release and to move him on. Um, I do wish him luck, and I hope he does well. I root for everybody that leaves Benfica. You know, I root for for Tarapt. I'll root for for all the other guys. You know, Weigel and for Tong and and Yadimchuk, and I I root for Darwin. You know, when he's playing, I even root for George Zouz to do well in the Turkish league. Okay, uh, I don't harbor long term feelings, even if it didn't work out here, or even if they weren't very good here um again you know Benfica is a, a nation and a family and when you're a part of it you're a part of it and you all know how it is you know 
we can fight amongst our own family, but if someone out there comes in and starts talking, we're going to back them up. So I do hope all the best for all of those guys that have left the club. Um, I'm probably leaving someone out. Yes, I am. My cousin Vinny, <laughs> Carlos Vinicius, in what was maybe the worst bit of business the club has done in my recent memory, uh, a player who we said wouldn't leave except for an ex you know, an astronomical amount. That was the former president that said that. Uh, leaves her a mere, what, 5 million euros, something small like that. Goes to the Premier League to Fulham. Uh, joins Marco Silva's uh, cottagers. And we'll see how it works out for him. But uh, he is no longer, you know, a Benfica player. He had been on loan these past two seasons. Um, now he's a Fulham player. So best wishes also to my cousin Vinny. I don't get to use that that term anymore, but I haven't used it in a long time anyway. Uh, yeah, so that is the sum of the transfer window in terms of players going out. Coming in, you all know this by now, World Cup champion. And I got a quiz. Who can tell me this, okay? He is the second World Cup champion to ever sign with Benfica. Okay, I'm talking, of course, about Ulian Draxler, who joins from Paris Saint-Germain on loan for one season, which I think is a brilliant loan deal. Very, very, very low risk for the club to take on Ulian uh, Draxler at this stage. Yes, he's coming off injury, and Roger Schmidt has already said that he's not ready to play yet. Uh, I think they tried some tried it out a bit in training. Neither he nor John Anthony Brooks are ready to play is what I read today. Um, neither one of them have played a competitive match since last season, so it, it makes sense. But I think both of them are very low-risk uh, moves that have a very high potential uh, for a payoff in the end. And, you know, with, with Julian Draxler, I mean, this is this is a class player. And like I said, he is the second ever player who's a World Cup winner to sign with Benfica. No Googling. If you can, without Google, DM me on on. Uh, on Twitter at Benfica Mister DM me who is the fur who is the only other Benfica player to ever sign with Benfica as a World Cup champion. Only two Benfica players have ever won the World Cup. Now, if you include Draxler, for him there was only one. Um, let's see who. And okay, let me reiterate: World Cup winners while at Benfica already having been World Cup winners. So no Aldaid. Aldaid went on and won the World Cup after the fact. Okay. Um, so no Aldaid, okay, Aldaid does not count, um, he did win the 94 World Cup with Brazil, but he was long gone from Benfica at that time, um, so if you know who it is, hit me, hit me in my DMs, hit me in my DMs, and, uh, if you're right, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode, all right, so let's move on then, okay, and talk about the Vizela match now that we got the transfers out. Also coming in, I almost forgot. I mentioned his name without saying American John Anthony Brooks, center back, left-footed center back, joins Benfica. This is on a, a as a free agent on a free transfer for one year. I think this is another good deal. Very little risk, short term. Um, he was about to sign with with uh, Mallorca in the Spanish league, and he happens to have the same agent as Ulian Draxler. And I guess that as they were wrapping up the Draxler deal, the Rui Costa, Rui Pedro Braja, somebody said to the agent, I think semi-jokingly, "Do you ha you don't have a center back, do you? And he said, actually, I do. And in comes 
the German-born, German-raised. Listen, he's he has spent his entire life in Germany and in German football. He played. He has played for the United States. He is a U.S. international, but he is also a German, and it makes complete sense. Roger Schmidt knows who he is, is familiar with him. This is a left center back who has over 200 appearances in the Bundesliga. He's only 29 years old. Um, I know Lateral Schmidt put out a video today or yesterday analyzing his last five games, but let me tell you, um, he had a troubled season last year. No doubt about it, okay? Um, John Anthony Brooks has fallen out of favor with his national team coach. He's fall, He had fallen out of favor with Wolfsburg. This is why he was available on a free, but that does not mean that there isn't quality there that can be that can be worked into our side. He is a very, very good aerial player, uh, probably the best one we have now, and he is a definite target on set pieces going forward as well, corner kicks, uh, direct free kicks, you know, in and around the penalty area. He's a big, strong center back. He, he gets on the end of crosses very well, and for me, what I'm most excited about is he's a very physical player. And when we go into the Stadio du Ladrão, when we go up there and we play the blue and white prison stripes, Mehdi Taremi now is going to have to deal with, potentially deal with, if he's selected to play on the night, uh, Nicolas Otamendi, hopefully kicking him and pushing him and, and, and shoving him around. And now John Anthony Brooks, who can absolutely beast people. So I am hope, hoping that when that they are going to be, you know, that they're. I'm hoping that's the center back pairing for that match. I hope uh, Brooks's form will come, and I hope that he gets up to a level where we can actually trust him in a match against Porto. Because I think between the two of them, they can bully Taremi and Ivan Nielsen around. They will get out of the air. They'll start finding their way into open spaces, away from danger, and um, I think that we have. I think that we have everything now to go in there and just bully them again like we did two years ago under JJ that one time where we had them complaining all week long after, maybe the rest of the season, about how rough we played and how how uh, we, didn't, we didn't try to play football. We can play football, but you know what? You're not going to walk all over us anymore. Those days are over. This year there will be a fight. There will be a fight for the title. Nobody's taking it easy from us. And we just got two reinforcements, I think, that make us a lot better, you know, in a, a very short time from now. They're not ready to play yet. It, it is what Roger Schmidt has said. They're not quite there at this point. So neither one of them, I think, is going to factor into the match tomorrow at Maccabi Haifa. Maybe, maybe Draxler gets on the pitch for some minutes, you know, to start gaining some form later on in the match. I don't know. But uh, I know... You know, the next league match, I believe, is Friday or Saturday. It's Saturday, um, an early match on Saturday. We're without Gonzalo Ramos and we're without João Mario because of this absolute nightmare of a referee known as as um, Fabio Verissimo, who made an absolute mockery of the game of football in that refereeing performance on on Friday Um at the Luz, this Benfica Vizela match. So without further ado, I think we go to that match now. Okay, I'll bring up the lineups and we'll talk about it first. Um, those are the those are the uh, the ins and outs of the transfer window. Of course, we got a lot of guys in the summer. I think this was maybe correct me if I'm wrong, the best transfer window Benfica have had in the last 15 to 20 years. I mean, uh, maybe going back to 
oh nine ten. Maybe we had as good maybe a season or two before that when everybody got in. But I think we really picked up a lot of pieces that we actually needed. And we didn't just buy young talent that we can flip and sell for a lot of money. So I think, there, you know, you bring in a guy again like Draxler and like Brooks. Those are two. Those are football decisions. There is no business side to that deal other than the fact that it didn't cost a lot of money uh, to bring either of them in. And I think that we're well set up now. Okay. Our midfield is playing well, but you could see in this match here, Enzo's legs are, are getting tired. A lot of minutes in a lot of time, not a lot of recoveries. Romario's, you know, he's, he's going, he's doing well, but he's slowing down a little bit. David Neres, he was out of football for over a year. He's still getting his legs under him again. And I think that, uh, you know, there's going to be moments where we're going to have to field a weaker squad to rest these guys. So it's very important to keep winning these league matches and try to get a cushion for ourselves so that we can eventually give these guys the rest that they need. Um, I'm going to pull up now the lineups for the Vizela match. We're going to work in, in reverse order tonight. We're going to start with round five against Vizela. Then we're going to go to round, well, we're going to do it chronologically because it was actually round three played against Pastor Tafreda, and then round four was played before round three because that match was rescheduled. But we'll just go in the reverse order of how uh, chronologically the games went down. I'm going to pull it up right here now. So, you know, again, Befica playing not great, but what's really good about this match with, with um, Vizela was that – they fought till the very end. This is a match that last year we would have, at the very least, dropped two points. Maybe we would have found one goal. Maybe we would have tied it up. We could have very easily lost this match the way we were playing last season, okay? And, yes, there was a lack of finishing. There was a lack of, you know, everything. <laughs> I mean, passes were not connecting. There wasn't a lot of fluid motion. There was a, If you watch, if you go back and watch it, Whenever Gilberto or whenever Grimaldo are coming down the flank with the ball, there's not a whole lot of movement going in. They don't have a lot of options. It got very easy for Vizela to sit in deep and to just cut out passing lanes. Um, of course, they got a goal out of nowhere, which it's the second game in a row where we where we fall behind. Um, the kid gets pulled out a little bit. He had a fantastic game, but he got pulled out of, of position a little bit. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Antonio Silva and then Nicolas Otamendi not really able to close that space down. It's just too long of a sprint for him. Um, I thought, I honestly thought that that Otamendi had had forced had forced the Vizela player wide enough, but apparently he didn't. He beat Lacodemos uh, near post, which should never happen. Um, and of course, you know it's in the it's in the fashion of the day to to completely crap on Odie right now. Um, I'll address that, I think, for a minute before I bring up these lineups. I understand, like anybody with two sets of eyes can understand, Odiseus Vlakodimus is not the best goalkeeper in the world, obviously. He has a flaws. He has faults. Um, I understand that. However, I'm not about to support spending stupid money to go get somebody who may or may not be better. If it's a player that definitely brings a better goalkeeper and a better fit into our system, then I'm all for it. But we can't be 
losing focus on every other piece of the of the puzzle to address the goalkeeping situation because at the end of the year at least in the league I don't believe it's going to be that big of an issue okay if we continue to score 3 goals a game on average or just under 3 goals a game we're going to be fine so if we're going to br- if we're bringing in players to keep that goal scoring up we're going to be okay because listen we're again We have a different kind of manager. We have a German manager. We have Roger Schmidt. And I said this back at the season premiere of this, uh, you know, the first podcast of the season. I said that we're going to give up goals. This is what I meant. Okay. Could Odie have done better? Yes. Against Pastor Fajeda, I don't, I see people blaming him. I don't see it there. Okay. Uh, I don't agree with that. Against Pastor Ferreira, I don't blame those goals on him. But what happens is the way we play, it's a high risk, high reward style. And you leave yourself exposed sometimes. And that's what's happened in the last two matches. And we've been able, you know, to fight our way back. And it's shown character because up until. You know, the, the naysayers, the haters will say out there, oh, yeah, wait till Benfica fall behind. Wait till they don't score. And now twice we have fallen behind and fought back and not just gotten a draw, but gotten the full three points in both of those matches. Obviously, this isn't going to fly against Juventus. It isn't going to fly against PSG. Probably won't even fly against Maccabi Haifa. Um, we have to stop conceding first. That, that goes without saying. But I am... I am encouraged by the way that the team has fought back. And especially in this Vizela match, in a match where we're not playing particularly well, okay? In fact, I think we're playing at times quite poor. Uh, we still found a way. You know, you get and you get a guy like David Nersh, and he shows his value in matches like this when it's not going well and he is not playing well at all, okay? He still finds that half step and that that moment of brilliance that that four to five second moment of brilliance where he shakes the defender, you know, crosses him up, <laughs> you know, breaks his ankles like the kids say, and then buries a left-footed rocket into the far post. Without that, I think we lose this match. I don't think if the match had continued to go on at 1-0 much longer and as Vizela just retreated more and more and more and we continue to do the same thing and try to ticky-tack our way through them, I think that's – that you know, would have been very difficult. And that's, I think, one criticism I have now on Roger Schmidt and his staff. But it also comes from not being that familiar with the league. And while Javi Garcia might be familiar, he's not done this from the perspective of a coach, from the from the sideline, from the dugout, or from the video, you know, the video booth, uh, what studying film. It's much different than when you're in the, in the match, much different when you're on the pitch. Um... So he may not even, as a player, have realized some of the ways in which Portuguese teams are going to try to neutralize strong opponents. And, you know, there's no sense in a high press when your opponent is not going to keep the ball in their end much. They're going to they're gonna dump it out as much as they possibly can. They're going to go long, and they're going to force you to build a play. So we need to kind of find some more movements and some more idiosyncrasies in the midfield we need to find players in the gaps between the lines which is very very hard okay that's a very very hard place to play um rafa's having a hard time in this as well because well he's got no space to run against these guys and that's what he does best 
But in the end, we'll talk about it now, but in the end, Roger Schmidt trusted the important, he trusted the right guys at the end of the day to get this result. Now, I'm guilty of this too. I thought that Rafa should have come out because I think that the game just wasn't calling for his skill set anymore. When the other team is not interested in coming out of their end, then, you know, you got a guy that's built for speed. He's not going to be able to get up to speed. He's going to have to play in tight tight spaces. And Rafa's big weakness is his decision-making in tight spaces. It's, it's you know, it's just decision-making in, in general. Um, when he can react, he's good. When he has to think and make a conscious decision, he, he you know, his level drops considerably. And this is the main reason he's still at Benfica today and not moved on for big money somewhere. Um, but when he is on and when he's given the space and when he's able to react, when he's able to run and when he's fed the ball in good in good places, he is absolutely lights out dangerous. In in our league, he is very, very good. And I, I expect he's going to play very well in the Champions League this year because none of our opponents are going to sit back like that. Uh, there will be spaces for him to exploit so long as we can put the ball into those spaces. All right, let's look at the lineups. We'll start with the visitors from the north. We'll start with Vizela, managed, of course, by Alvaro Pacheco. And I have to say, I... I respected this man, but his post-game comments to me were a little bit uh, beneath what I thought of him. And perhaps I've lost a little respect because if you have to come in and do anti-football or anti-jogo, as they call it, we all know that that's the reality for a lot of teams. But if you're going to complain about a referee's decision, as he did, Perhaps rightfully so, but regardless, you're ignoring all the other referee decisions that did go your way. You had one that didn't go your way. All of the others did, okay? That's very selective memory from Alvaro Pacheco, and, and it's disappointing because all he had to say in the postgame presser was that that penalty was a makeup call, and I think anybody could live with that, that criticism. Most Mayfikishas most acknowledged that that was a makeup call. Whether it's a penalty or not, I'll get to it. Um, and a lot of people are going to disagree with it. But from what I've found in researching what referees have said about this, it was the right. It turns out it was the right call. And I'll get to that when we when we get to that point in the match. But yeah, Alvaro Pacheco, for me, I all he had to say was that it was a makeup call. And I think that would have been respectable. Instead, he just blames the referee for his team dropping two points. Um, disappointing. Because they they held on for dear life. They wasted time. You can complain all you want about the stoppage time. But again, if the fourth referee says there's eight minutes of stoppage time and you proceed to kill four of those minutes, guess what? There's gonna You're going to go past eight minutes. And we had occurrences in those eight minutes that obviously makes the referee extend those eight minutes. When you're spending 45 seconds to a minute to hand out a red card, whether it's deserved or not, or a second yellow, that is going to take, you know, plenty of time. Yes, the penalty was called at eight minutes and 25 seconds of stoppage time, but second, at least a minute was, was killed in the stoppage time with either slow decisions or you know, substitutions or whatever. So, you know, it, 
you can't it's not like when they put the placard up that the clock starts counting down from eight and there's no more adding time if time is being wasted you continue to add it and then the call of the penalty it Again, I'll get to that in a moment. Let's look at the lineup now. Uh, so, Vizela playing 4-3-3. Abuntic is the goalkeeper. Across the back, the right back is Tomaj Silva. Uh, Bruno Wilson and, and Anderson are the center back pairing with the left back being Kiki Afonso. The three in midfield, anchored by the American Alex Mendez. He has former Benfica youth product Rafael Guzu to his right. And he's got Samu to his left, who, if I'm not mistaken, may also be a Benfica youth product. Let me double check on that. No, he is a Boavista product. I know we had a Samu um, some time ago, and not the one that's our third string goalie. I remember another one in the past. Perhaps it was further back than that. Up front, Bondozu down the right. Osmajic is the striker. And on the left side, Nunu Moreira. For Benfica, they're playing in their normal 4-2-3-1 for Roger Schmidt. Odie is the goalkeeper, as pretty much always. Gilberto, the right back. Antonio Silva uh, gets his second career Liga start, his first home start in the Liga Portugal. Uh, he's partnered, of course, with the captain, the captain of captains at this point, the captain, Nicolas Otamendi, who makes the, the switch from right center back to left center back to accommodate the younger, less experienced player. While Alex Grimaldo starts at left-back double pivot in midfield, as it's been all season, Enzo Fernandez teaming up with Florentino Luiz, the three in front of him also unchanged. It is David Neres on the right, João Mario in the center, and Rafa Silva on the left. As you know, Rafa and João Mario switch a lot, while Neres kind of plays on the flank exclusively. And they're behind the striker, Gonzalo Ramos. All right. So those were the lineups. Let's take a look at the the occurrences or what happened in this match. So Benfica, it's it's a slow start. I feel like, unlike in the previous match, which was also kind of a slow start, I felt a little more nervous about this one. Something felt different. Okay, um, against Pasuj, even going down a goal, I wasn't nervous because we were creating we were doing things and i knew that plenty of opportunities were going to come but in this one it looked a little bit more cagey it looked a little bit harder to get anything generated now of course this is the third game in six days like i said ninth game in the month of august no this was september already wasn't it but anyway ninth game in under a month okay <laughs> however you want to look at it in less than a month nine competitive matches okay so you could see the wear on the squad. And again, it's it's easy for us to say, oh, you need to rotate more. But who are you going to rotate in? Who is going to play Enzo's position up until, you know, this match? We didn't have somebody up until very, very recently. Who is going to play in Rafa's position? Who is going to play in David Neres' position? You guys saw when he didn't play against Kazapia, it caused all kinds of problems. And it, it brought down the level of play. On everyone around him, whether it's João Mario, Rafa, Gonzalo Ramos, they, their levels dropped when they don't have him keeping defenders on their toes and basically keeping open spaces for teammates. So uh, we have an opportunity in the 18th. Enzo has a right-footed shot from outside the box. So this is the one I think that was so high and so wide. I don't even know 
if it made it to the stands, it was so high. I mean, it may have gone up and come right back down just uh, after the line. It was, it was a very, very high ball. But then in the 20th minute is when it happens. Okay, uh, Milutin Osmajic of Vizela gets a left-footed shot from inside the box, as we said. Bottom left corner beats Odie to the near post. It's assisted by, Kiki, by Kiku Bondozu. And Bondozu, um, this was against the run of play again. It was a counterattack. But I think it had everybody up. If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think we were on a corner kick. Um, I could be wrong, but I think we, I remember us having a set piece or something, and it just got cleared, and everybody was up. And again, um, the kid Antonio Silva gets beat, and Otamendi doesn't have the pace to close him down. And now I remember. What happened? We did not have the ball. <laughs> we did not have a uh, a set piece. We actually had we had both of our wingbacks way up high, and then a bad pass made by somebody. Um, maybe it was Tino. I don't remember exactly, but it was a bad pass nonetheless. And we had everybody pulled up and left just just uh, Antonio and Otamendi back there, and it was not it was not pretty. Um, but again, I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna say this. For as long as Roger Schmidt is the manager, because we brought him in to do this. If this was my team, I don't, I don't like having players that high up. Okay, and I, I do think I'm starting to confuse some of the goals because there's three matches in my mind. So perhaps this wasn't the the situation here, but um, on one of these goals in the past three matches, we had a bad pass where where uh, our wingbacks were. We're way up high, which is where they're going to play. So it's just going to happen. So I'm not going to come on here and make a criticism that our wingbacks are too high because that's the way we play. If I'm managing the team, I don't necessarily want both of my wingbacks that high. That's just a difference in preference, okay? But he is the manager. We're playing his game, not mine, like I've been saying. So I'm not going to come here and make, make criticisms about his style. We hired him to play his style. So, um, anyhow, we have a you know we we turn the ball over and it is a it is a counter a fast break counter. Vizela break quickly and they get a goal from their striker from their Montenegrin striker uh, Milutin Osmanjic, um, and it's one nil to the visitors. And while I wasn't panicking because we're not at that stage in the season. And because this season, this team has a lot more, has instilled a lot more confidence and a lot more faith in all, in, in all of us, I think. Um, it, I still was worried here because I said, well, well, we better get this this equalizer soon. I hope we don't go into into the halftime, you know, down a goal. But, you know, it, became, it, it got difficult. Uh Enzo would win a free kick in the 26th, taken down by Rafael Guzu in the former Seychelles product. Portugal U20 International sees the yellow card. Um, we get nothing out of the set piece. We get a corner kick here in the 31st after Bruno Wilson concedes. Again, nothing was going on set pieces in this one. We were not getting it to to our, you know, our box threats. We have scored some goals on set pieces this season. But in this one, and... Credit to Vizela for, for doing their homework in, in things like set pieces. That is all homework, and that is all, you know, scouting and studying and knowing your what your opponents are going to do in those situations and being ready for it. Um, 
We have a, a we nearly have one though in the thirty fourth. So in the thirty fourth, it's another corner, and Joe Mario delivers it. And this is the one that actually connected. In the past matches, we've scored on these. This one, it didn't quite work. Uh, it was Antonio Silva. The youngster gets his head from the center of the box. Gets his header from the center of the box, but it's saved in the bottom left corner. Uh, a very nearly an equalizer, and you could see the kid could could really believe he was gonna. He what ran away with his hands on his head. Uh, you could see watching it that he really thought he he had his first, you know, his first Liga Portugal goal, his first senior first division goal. Um, but it wasn't to be on that play. Uh, little else really generated in the first half. Gilberto gets a right-footed shot from outside the box that gets blocked by Kiki Afonso in the 41st minute after Rafa swung the ball to him. Uh, Otamendi with an opportunity in the 42nd. He has a header from the center of the from the center of the box, but he misses to the right. This came from David Nedge on a corner. Um, Vizela, you know, clearly looking for for the halftime whistle. Uh, Tomas Silva would would draw a yellow card from Nicolas Otamendi, who's coming back from a suspension here, and he goes in the referee's book. You know, he. More than anybody now, I think, knows the difference between playing for Benfica and playing for Porto. Because none of these were yellow cards for him when he was playing in blue and white prison stripes. Uh, he Every single foul he commits, it seems like the referee pulls out a yellow card for Nicolas Otamendi. And this referee was, as I said, completely atrocious in this match. This was an absolute just debacle of a football match and again we talk about the league of portugal wanting to sell this product to the whole world the stars of tomorrow they like to say and well yes there are some players in this league that are you know future stars hey speaking of which last year's star from Gil Vicente samuel lino he scored for for valencia this week so it's not just about the big three but how can you sell this product to the world with referees like this and with let's be honest teams this many teams playing this you know this um type of a style i i i get it i mean listen i wasn't one i named my my podcast network the parking the bus podcast okay i was never ashamed to sit 10 behind the ball and make you find the path but i didn't manage at top level i wasn't trying to sell rights to the middle east or wherever, you know, I wasn't trying to, to make this, you know, not trying to sell a brand, a league that, that um, you know, it's about young talent and exciting play. Because this is the, Vizela's play is the exact opposite of that. But nevertheless, I mean, you keep, these referees, you can't sell this to the world. I mean, I would love to have been a fly on the wall and wonder what, Ulian Draxler and John Brooks talked about watching this match. This was their first exposure to the Liga Portugal, I believe. I don't think they've ever watched a league match between a big club and a small. Maybe they've seen some of the Clásicos or the Derbys over the years. It's come across their attention span uh, when they were going to play against a Portuguese team, you know, in, in Europe or whatever. But I'm sure they're watching this like, what what is this? This team's not even trying to play. It's not they're not trying to play. They are very limited. I understand, and everyone understands, you know, the financial situation in the league. But the refereeing is just so abysmal. It's embarrassing. How are you going to send this around the world? 
to show just how bad our referees are in this league. Benfica getting the call at the very end of the game does not eliminate or mask what was the entire body of work for Fabio Verissimo in this match. He is a bad referee, and I don't like to say that because he's gotten to a certain level. He's refereeing at a high level in terms of the level of, of football matches he's being given. And obviously he had to get there somehow. But when he does, at least Benfica, I can't speak for all the other matches he does. Maybe he does a good job when he's got, you know, when he's doing Aroca versus Boavista. I don't know. But when he's doing Benfica matches, he is always an absolute disaster. And I'm not trying to call into question somebody's professionalism and somebody's ability, but, but it's there's referees that you think might, you know, be corrupt or you think they might have how do you say they you know getting a gift or something but then there's referees you can see are just not good and Fabio Verissimo falls into that category of referees who are just not good and it says a lot about the level of refereeing in the country when this guys like this and guys like you know Ugo Miguel and how they get to the top level. It, it just it just is mind-blowing. But anyway, we'll go to halftime. Uh, Rafa nearly equalized before halftime as he got a right-footed shot from this in the center of the box uh, off a feed from João Mario, but it was blocked by one of the seven Vizela players in the in the area, you know, in the small area. But hey, it is what it is. Gonzalo Ramos has a, a, a header also blocked. Uh, earlier in the half, though, Gonzalo Ramos had a looping header that went off the bar. If that header goes into the goal, I do think this is a completely different football match after that. But what happened in this match is what I have been concerned about. When we were playing really well in preseason and early on in the Champions League qualifiers and in the early matches in the league, I said my concern is when we don't, when these goals stop going in, what happens when we don't score early? Because when we score early, we have a certain pattern the match follows. And that's that's what I like. I like to score early. I like to be, you know, chilled out. And I like to cheer with because if we score early, we, we're probably going to score three, four, or five goals. When we score late, it's a whole different, you know, it's a whole different level of anxiety, a whole different uh, animal. But moving on, because... We are uh, we are already 45, 42 minutes into this episode. Go to the second half. Much more of the same. If you could trying, but nothing really coming. Uh, we get an opportunity from Florentino in the 46th. In the 47th, it's Nedge with the chance. Enzo with the few. Uh, Enzo's the only guy seeming seemingly willing to shoot from distance, seemingly willing to shoot from outside. When you play a team like this, though, you have to shoot from distance because you have to pull that team out. They have to respect your ability to score from distance. I think that Ulian Draxler brings that. I think when he comes into this team, I think Ulian Draxler, with his his ability to shoot from distance, of course he can. He's German. <laughs> he can he can at least put these teams on notice and keep them honest. Right now, when we don't shoot, it's only Enzo shooting, and he only hits the net on one of ten. It's not his strength. He was not brought here to, to score goals from 30 yards, you know. He was brought in to be 
uh, a box-to-box midfielder that can push the pace, that can push the ball, that can find teammates in good in good um, spaces. That becomes harder to do when the other team's 10 field players are all sitting in their defensive third as we saw as this match went on. So I think the first good thing here in this match is the substitution. And let me see. I think it comes in the 67th. So Roger hangs on a little long for my liking on this one. I thought that uh, I thought a substitution even at halftime would have worked. And I'm going to admit that I would have been wrong because I thought it was the data to to bring Nedish off, okay? Because I didn't see – he just wasn't beating anyone. He was having a trouble. He wasn't combining. He wasn't connecting. I thought we could bring him off and maybe add a, add a striker, you know, put, put Enrique up there with, or, or Musa up there with Gonzalo and maybe, you know, change our look a little bit and make them adjust a little bit. But Roger didn't do that, and he held off. And in the end, he is the one that was right, and that's why he is the you know world class uh, world class manager. You know, you know, going to the Champions League, and I'm a small time podcaster in my basement talking about <laughs> about football. But uh, he does decide to substitute Enzo, which I also thought by this by the hour mark it was time. He had nothing left, and he we just weren't getting what he brings out of him anymore. Uh, so Frederick Oshness, Ausness comes in. I promise to pronounce this word within the next two, three episodes. Pronounce this name. Okay, I will get his name right soon. Uh, Arshness, I think, is how you pronounce it. But uh, he comes on for Enzo, okay, in the 67th. And Peter Musa comes on for Florentino. So this is a good move. So what I just said that I would do was in changing the, the look, um, Roger makes a smart decision here. He decides to swap out the double pivot altogether, change the mid how the midfield looks, and add, he adds that striker I was just talking about, right? So it's Florentino who gets sacrificed along with Enzo, and um, much need you know much deserved rest for the two of them anyway. And now we're playing, and you can see when he comes in when. When Oshness comes in, he's looking over. I couldn't tell who he was looking at, but he quickly went like this, 4-4-2, four, four, okay? So he clearly he clearly was making a, a tactical change there, and it was it ends up being João Mario, I'm assuming, because he's pulling João Mario in towards him, and they're going to play as the two center mids with, with you know, Nedj on one side and Rafa on the other. Um, that's the 4-4-2 four, four, that they, they look like that they set up with Musa playing with Gonzalo up top, okay? Smart, uh, smart move. I always say when you make a substitution, don't just switch like for like unless everything is going perfect. Okay. And unless you're way ahead, you want to change your look. Every change has to be, has to change something about the way you look. You have to make the other team at least think, if not adjust. And, you know, Roger Schmidt totally gets that here. Um, and Vizela make two substitutions of their own. Another American comes in, Alejandro Alberado, and I believe he's American. Yeah, he's a 19-year-old American. He comes in for the goal scorer, Osmajic, and Kevin Zoll replaces Nuno Moreira. So Vizela's doing the opposite. They're going to, like, <laughs> they're pulling everyone back. They're taking their striker and adding midfielders. So there you go. They're going to clog up the midfield. Um, so this is again a chess match now, and, uh, and it's a match. It shouldn't have come down to this, but hey, the circumstances are what they were. Okay, 
and Benfica, you know, find the opportunities eventually. Nicolas Sotomendi nearly levels on the 67th minute, a close range header, but it goes wide right. Dromadio again feeding that ball. Uh, and you could see when Oshinis came into the game that everything changed. And that was the spark in the team that we needed. That was what made the, the components start moving again. It was like a, like like an engine. You know, it just before everything was just, you know, slowly moving north-south. And once he came in, you know, you had this this component going here to here. To, and you get all of the crisscrossing and all of the synchronized moving and all of the just, just uh, you know, not straight runs anymore. And making defenders make decisions whether they're going to go with this guy or that guy, whether they're going to – if they're going to play a zone, if they're going to leave somebody wide open. At what point do they abandon the zone and pick up the man? And things like that. You have to – make movements in order to make defenders make those decisions. 75th minute, another substitution. It's Alexander Ba coming in for Gilberto. Um, Gilberto didn't have his best game, obviously. he He's so consistent, though. Um, I I think, like everyone else thinks, I don't think this is, this is going to shock anybody, but I believe that Ba is going to be the starting right back at some point. And I believe that Gilberto will take that as he always has very professionally and he will work even harder to to push Ba to be the best right back he can be and it's shortly thereafter Ba gets on the pitch in the 75th and in the 76th he picks up the assist although it's not too much of an assist he just finds the feet of of David Nerj and Nerj with maybe only the only four five or six seconds of which he played well in this match. He manages to carve out the space for himself and to bury an absolute rocket into the far post. I mean, this is a goal of the month, goal of the week candidate. We'll see how the rest of the season goes, but this this could be a goal of the year candidate for Benfica. This was a fantastic goal, and Neres just buries it, and he brings the stadium to its feet. Another 50,000, I believe, was the official Another 47,958. Okay, so we didn't quite break 50,000 in this match, but another 47,000 um, in the stadium, almost 48,000 in the stadium. And Nedge makes it 1-1. They come to their feet. They come alive. He goes to celebrate. And what's amazing is if you watch the video, and a lot of people couldn't believe he went to celebrate because we were not ahead. And when you play for Benfica, you know, just tying it is not enough. You only have 15 minutes or 14 minutes left to win the match. You don't have time to celebrate. Gilberto, who had just been subbed off, sprints down the touchline. And Gilberto grabs him and throws him back onto the pitch and says, Go, uh, we're not done yet. And, um, you know, that's good. It's good. It's, it's a little bit of an education for some of these new players. That at Benfica, we do not celebrate when we're not winning. Okay. Especially when time is is of the essence as it was. In the 82nd minute, uh, João Mario shown a card for saying something. It was ridiculous. Referee calls a foul on Antonio Silva. And João Mario, who's one of the captains, he's the assistant captain, okay? He just says something to him, and boom, the yellow card comes out. That comes into play. Uh, in the 83rd, Diego Rosa, the substitute for Vizela, has a right-footed shot from the left side of the block from the box, but that's blocked by Otamendi. Um, 
moving forward. Okay, we get Oshinis goes into the referee's book for a foul in the 84th minute. I think it's the first foul he had created he had committed in the match. Uh taking down uh taking down Kiki Kiki Afonso and um Benfica, you know, starting to panic a little bit. Uh I I did not this one I had reserved myself to dropping two points. I was in the phase of accepting that we were going to drop two points because we always seem to drop off when our rivals, you know, give us a little bit of, of leeway. We don't do well with slack. You know, we don't do well with leeway and we really pull it back in. But, you know, what would happen next would really or just shortly thereafter would really have me absolutely livid. So I'm just going to go to the 89th minute, okay? The, we're in the middle third. We're in the center circle, if I remember correctly. And you have you have Alex Mendez and you have Gonzalo Ramos going to the same ball. They both slide. Ramos gets the ball and then on his follow through crashes into Mendez. This is not a foul. This is not a foul. Fabio Verissimo whistles at a foul. He delays first and then whistles at a foul and then pulls out the yellow card for Gonzalo Ramos. And I kid you not, when this happened, I said out loud, of course, nobody was around me. I was in here working. But, you know, um, I said out loud, bring on Araujo now. Bring on Araujo. Gonzalo is booked. You know, I, I could see. I don't trust this referee. I don't trust a lot of them. But this one especially, along with, you know, some – some a few others that I really, really don't trust. And when I say don't trust, I mean I don't want them anywhere near our matches, but here they are refereeing our matches. So I did say out loud, get Araujo in there now. Get him in there, warmed up or not. And unfortunately, it was only a minute and a half later. We're in the penalty area. You've everyone's seen it by now. I've you know, we've all shared the video, we've all shared um the highlights. A clear Clear as day penalty. Don't tell me this is not a penalty. Gonzalo Ramos takes the ball. He cuts it on his right foot across his body, beats the defender. The defender falls over, and when he's left with nothing else to do, throws his body backwards in order to impede Gonzalo Ramos from going towards goal. A no planet is this in any way a dive. That's the last thing. It, it, it's impossible. There is contact. Okay. There is contact, and it's the contact of getting the shoulders across your knees as the player is falling backwards. Nobody is staying on their feet from that. I suppose he should have just run harder. and knee Here's the thing. If he had run harder and gone through this player, I don't know which player it was anymore. It was the center back from Vizela. What if he had kneed him in the head and knocked him out? You would have called a foul on Gonzalo Ramos, right? So he didn't do that. He ran through and he went down because he was impeded. First, Fabio Verissimo does the ball sign. He says all ball or whatever he said. I don't even know where he gets that. And then he blows the whistle, points the other way, and reaches to his pocket. And you can't believe it. Nobody can believe it. Everybody knows what's coming next. Gonzalo knows what's coming next. In two minutes and 20 seconds... This referee managed to, without a foul being committed, show two yellow cards to Gonzalo Ramos. 
Now, I don't want to hear about robbery from fans of other teams, okay? Because this was a penalty kick, and Barr was not even consulted. He never looked at the VAR on this one either, okay? Because you know how you can tell. Because when there is a VAR in Portugal, it takes six, seven minutes for them to look at it, especially one like this that could change the game. They they would have looked at it at in all the angles they possibly could. They didn't even look at this one, okay? I don't believe that the VAR was even consulted on this one. In fact, I have a theory that I don't even think the VAR was in use in this match because it would have come, it would have been used again in the penalty he did award to Benfica. It would have been used in a penalty, you know, a shout for a penalty early in the first half, which he got right. It was not a penalty to our favor. He got it right. But the fact that this was decided so quickly and the ball was back in play so quickly, there's no way that the VAR was working. OK, there's no way that it, they didn't check it um, unless they just didn't check it because they knew what the result was going to be. But again, you're getting into a different level than there of accusatory uh, statements. And I don't want to do that again. I do that enough. I, I will. I'm even trying to to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But there is no way that this was a dive, first of all. And there's no reason why we should have to go into the next league match with Gonzalo Ramos suspended. That said, this was I respectfully disagree with anyone who says this was not a penalty. You, If it's not a penalty, what is it? Honestly, an accidental trip, that's still a penalty. That's still a penalty. He did not call it, okay? So whatever you think of the penalty that was called, it would have been a robbery the other way if not for that penalty being called. If it's a makeup call, if you believe it's a makeup call, it might be. Again, having looked at it as much as I have and having read up with different referees' opinions, I am in the thought that it is in fact a penalty, the one that was called. We'll get to it in a minute, but if you can now left with 10 players and in the 90th plus two they've already signaled for they have already signaled at this part for eight minutes of stoppage time okay so the the foul occurs at 90 plus one it's right here in the game ledger the simulation the call of a simulation happens in the 90th plus one the red card comes out in the 90th plus two play is not restarted until 90 plus three that's two minutes, minimum of 90 seconds, possibly two minutes, but 90 seconds in which play was stopped. Naturally, those 90 seconds got to go on the end of the, of the stoppage time. They don't just go away because we're past 90 minutes. That's not how it works. That's how fans of certain teams want it to work, especially when it's, it's against us. When it's in favor of their teams, they'll be the first to say exactly what I'm saying right now. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, 90th plus six, João Mario wins a free kick down the wing, and he sends the ball in, and I I thought this was our last hope. It finds Otamendi's header at the center of the box, but he misses to the left, and I thought that was it at that point. And then Roger makes a substitution for some reason in the 90th plus seven. Not sure. Um, those of you that, listen, that watched on Goal TV in English, you heard Nino Torres, the commentator, saying the same thing. You heard him saying, "Why now, Roger? What? What do you? Why?" 
All right? And I don't know. Um, unless Nedge couldn't continue, um, that's not a substitution I'd want to make with the game in the balance with seconds left, you know? Maybe a minute to a minute and a half tops. But he makes the choice. He makes the decision. And then we get a play right after. Rafa puts the ball in. Musa tries to, to, to get a shot on. It is blocked. However, it comes back out to Rafa. Rafa takes a touch inside, beats a player, and fires a shot. Look at this. A shot from the outside, right? Again, we tried all match to connect to Tiki Taka our way into the goal, connecting passes in the box, trying to walk the ball in. None of it worked. We got our equalizer when Nedish created half a yard of space and just buried the ball in the far post. Now on the other side of the pitch, on down the left, Rafa does the same on his right foot on the inside, and he he del he shoots that goal, and it hits Diego Rosa. Okay, now here we go. At first. Um, well, here's the thing. I thought the penalty was going to stand as soon as it was whistled because Fabio Verissimo makes the, makes this motion with his, with his arm showing that the arm was out away from the body. Okay. If the arm is out away from the body and that's what he called, it's hard to overturn that on VAR unless the ball doesn't at all hit him. Okay. Different frames have been circulating social media, different still frames, okay? Our rivals, they love the frame of it just hitting his back and pretending the ball went from there. Never touched anything else. My Portista friend, who suddenly came out of hibernating after his team lost to, to complain about this on social media, you know, his Facebook turned back on, apparently... Facebook wasn't working in Hudson, Massachusetts uh, up until the moment this happened for, for, for my friend here. Um, and that's when he says the ball hits his back and then his arm and that that's not a, uh, a handball. That assessment is, in fact, incorrect. Pedro Henrique, referee, okay, former referee, FIFA referee, on Ebola TV explained it. I found the video. I shared the video. I believe it's on my Twitter feed right now. If you scroll down, it's there somewhere. Um, he explains the way the rules are written and the way that they are they're instruct, instructed, referees to interpret it, is that by turning your back, okay, in an act of turning your back, the defender has, in fact, opened himself up to be called for handling the ball because you're, you're no longer in a natural position. If you turn your back to a ball, your arm is no longer in a natural position. That is how the rules are interpreted now. So even though it hits your back and then your elbow, it is still handling the ball. We can disagree about the rule, okay? And I'll, I'll have that conversation. And I probably will have that conversation because tomorrow, all right, or maybe when you hear this tonight, Tuesday, September the 6th, 10 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States, I'm joining Nino Torres on his Instagram live. Okay. So I'm going on Instagram live to talk to Nino from gold TV. We're going to chat this up and I'm sure this is going to come up, but we can disagree about the rule. And I respect various different opinions about the rule, but the way that the referees, from what I understand are being instructed is that by turning your back, you're no longer in a natural position, thus leaving yourself open to be called for handling the ball. 
I have said for some time now that, especially with VAR, FIFA and IFAB need to clarify the handling the ball rule. They need to explicitly say this is handling the ball and this is not, and not leave this up to referees' judgment. When you leave it up to human judgment, you get human error. And I, I, it sounds to me that from the people who actually are, you know, referees, the people who actually know this stuff, the people who actually have to learn this and have to implement it, they all more or less agree that this was a penalty. It's fans, coaches, and media that are saying this is not a penalty because you listen. If this was, if the roles were reversed, and this was Porto versus Vizela, I would be pissed if Porto got a, a penalty kick like this. Porto gets penalty kicks that are non-existent all the time. They have the Persian pool diving world champion as their striker. Okay, he's invented more penalties, phantom penalties, than anybody can complain. So when that's your club, you have no ground to stand on to criticize any penalty awarded to anybody. You have no ground to stand on. So that, that that just pushes you guys out of the way. Funny enough, on my friend's Facebook, you know, another person in town, another Portisha says, oh, in Portuguese, but I'll translate to English for you. It isn't even worth watching this league anymore if it's going to be like this. What do you mean if it's going to be like this? It's been like this for 40 years. It's just always in your favor, and you don't mind when it's in your favor. By all means, go watch another league. I don't have to listen to you guys anymore if you're not watching this league. You know you're not going to go watch another league. I just had to get that out. I just had to get that out there. Anyway, after lots of uh, back and forth, arguing, discussing, finally the ball gets put down. Um, we see a, a Vizela assistant coach, second Vizela assistant coach of the match, getting sent off by Fabio Verissimo. And he looked just like the first guy. And I'm I'm wondering, I said, what, that guy come back out or something? But it, it was almost like a badge of honor. He was so proud of himself to get sent off. Um, but anyway, you know, finally after that, you know, he points to the spot again. I did never once on the screen saw the graphics saying Lance and Ali's, you know, play under review. Never did I see that. So I'm assuming that this didn't even go to VAR. Something was wrong with VAR. Um, I haven't read up on it today. I, As of yesterday, I had not read anything about, you know, the status of whether or not the VAR was consulted. But again, this is why in this league especially, but I think in all of football, the audio and the communication between the referee and the VAR needs to be made public. We should be hearing it on our television while watching the game. That's the only way to be transparent. Anyways, Dromadiu steps up. Scores the penalty. Benfica win. He, I don't know how I feel about this. This is, I get why he ran off the pitch towards the fans, took his shirt off, twirled it in the air. Did he not know he was on a yellow card? Has he already, did he see this as his last match because he thinks Draxler is going to take his spot next? He gets himself sent off in the 112th minute, or no, sorry, the 102nd minute. And, we really could have used him next week. I I know it's hard to keep your emotions down, and I know it, it's, a, it's a very emotional game, and when you win that way, but for a guy that's usually so calm and so cool and for a guy who's 
you know, such a good professional. Uh, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed in João Mario for picking up that second yellow card. I have to say, I, I prefer him available, if not on the pitch. I prefer him available to in the stand suspended. So he's sent off for what was called an excessive celebration. And again, we can disagree on the rules. I hate the rules in this game that give yellow cards needlessly for things that are actually good for the game, such as celebrating with fans and entertaining things, harmless things like, like, like lifting your shirt up, or uh, you know, these kinds of things are not what players should be getting sent off for. However, the rules are what they are. And Dromadio knows the rules and he knows he's on a yellow card. He's got to, um, I would have preferred a better decision from my alternate captain. That's just where I'm going to go. And, you know, I'm a big, I, a big defender of Joel Mario, But um, this I can't defend because whether or not Drexler's ready, I think he's going to have to start on Saturday. Uh, but Befica win 2-1. to one. Press game, Post-game press is all about the referees, as you know. Nobody's talking about the football. Nobody's talking about what happens inside the four lines. It's all about the referee. But Benfica, pick up the victory, okay? Uh, three more points. That's five and five. Let's move back quickly. We'll, we'll, we'll glance over the previous matches. And what I'll do is first I'll look at the – I will actually bring up the goal point here. I'll bring up the goal point, and we will take a look at the ratings versus Vizela. All right. All right, they're going up on the screen right now as we speak. I hope you can see them. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so um, we've got – we'll start with Vizela's ratings. You see their overall rating there of 5.34. Their XG is 0 0.4. They picked up a goal, so they overperformed their XG. Buntic in goal got a 6.5. Tomaj got a 5.1, Bruno Wilson 5.6, Anderson 6.5, and Kiki 5.5. Nuno Moreira 4.6, Samu 4.7, Rafael Guzu 4.5, Alex Mendes 4.8, and Kiku uh, Bondozu 5.3. Osmajic got a 6.0. Their substitutes, Ivanildu, Claudemir, and Zohi, all with 4.9s. Alvarado 4.7, and Diego Rosa. 4.5. Benfica with a team average of 6.17. Uh, you see the man of the match there, David Nersh with an 8.1 in this one. I didn't think he was that good. Um, I think he he got the goal, so it was good. But uh, this was of the matches he's played in. I think this was one of the poorer um, performances I've seen from him. But it's understandable, again, like I said, he's not in tip-top form yet. He spent a lot of time not playing for obvious reasons. He was he was playing at a club in the Ukraine, and football stopped in the Ukraine. So while everyone else has been playing the past, you know, what has it been, six, seven, eight months now, uh, since the turn of the year, since, what, February, I think the invasion happened, uh, he... You know, he, uh, he he's still getting his form back, so he, I don't expect him to be at his top every single match. But he earns an 8.1 here. Vlaco Dimos have a 4.8. Gilberto, 6.5. Antonio Silva, 6.4. Otamendi, a 5.4 with the yellow there. Grimaldo, 6.6. Jomadio gets a 7.4 in a match he sees himself sent off 
Pogba with a goal. Enzo, 5.1, probably his most um, or least influential performance thus far. Tino, 6.6, good game for him again. Um, just again, another guy who I, I'm seeing is, is quite consistent in this setup playing for this manager. Uh, we already talked about Nedge is 8.1, Rafa 6.6, .6, and Gonzalo, not a good day for him, 5.0, sees himself sent off. Uh, be interesting to see what Roger Schmidt decides to do to start the match on Saturday, whether or not he's going to go with a 4-4-2 or with this 4-2-3-1 uh, formation. And if he's going to play either Musa or uh, Araujo by themselves up front, if he's going to partner them, we'll have to wait and see. I think he knows he needs to make some changes because teams are catching on to our game, and I think he knows he needs to throw some wrenches in there to keep them guessing and keep them honest. But if he goes to 2.9 XG, so they almost performed up to it, but they end up winning 2-1. to one. Okay. Um, substitute Auschnitz gets a 4.9. Uh, Musa 5.2 and Ba 5.9. Diogo Gonçalves gets on, but not in time to get any type of uh, rating. You look at the stats, 28-7, to 7, the shots in favor of Benfica. Um, 6-2 in shots on goal. 49 actions in the opponent's area to 4 in favor of Benfica. I promise. A lot of those actions were lateral passes that got cut out. Uh, 15 corners for Benfica to four corners for Vizela. 87% pass efficiency for Benfica, 63% for Vizela. 73% uh, vertical pass efficiency. 13 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield for Benfica to nine for Vizela. Fouls nine to Benfica, 10 to Vizela. Yeah, nine fouls to Benfica, seven bookings. Fico with the 72% uh, possession. All right, we look here at some of the story in the game. So you look at some of the passes I have on the screen here. If you're watching, if you're listening, I'll just tell you. Uh, Grimaldo to Dromari was the most common pass made in the entire match, along with Gilberto to Florentino, 19 apiece. David Nerge's uh, heat map is right there for those of you watching along. And it's where you would expect it to be. He had a goal, four passes for a shot. He had um, eight approximate, I'm guessing near passes. Uh, eight dribbles attempted, six success, successful. And a few other stats there. But that is this match for you. I'm going to go right into the passage one and I'm going to put it up here uh, for you to see. And here we have, uh, uh, let's see, it's not showing on the screen here. Let's, I'll stop the screen. Okay, so we're going to get to the passage match, and I'm going to bring that screen back up and see if we can't uh, have a, have a uh, look at what we have there. All right, so here is the goal point for the passage match, which was played earlier this week. This was played on Tuesday. And you have Cesar Peixoto was in the stand for this one, suspended. But his Pasos Fajeda came in with a 0 0.7 XG, a 5.04 rating, and they end up getting two goals from that. Zé Oliveira, the goalkeeper, earned a 3.1 in this match. Um, Delgado there has a 6.0. Nuno Lima, a 5.2. Flavio, 
6.4, and Tunja 5.2. That's the, the back line with Hui Pirsch, uh, Halsgrove, and Bastush in the midfield, along with Thomas. And now the way to pronounce his name is, is escaping me, but he scored two goals in this one, didn't he? I believe he's the goal scorer, Kayaki. Um, anyway, that's the lineup there for Passos de Ferreira. And you see here for Benfica, it was actually Coffee, excuse me. Coffee had the two goals, the striker had the two goals for Passos de Ferreira, Benfica. Uh, only change here is that Bas starts over Gilberto in this one. Everything else is the same. Of course, Moratu is in there uh, with Otamendi. Moratu will get injured in this match, and he's going to be out for six weeks now which is why we went and signed John Anthony Brooks on the last day of the transfer window uh, to fill that hole a little bit because we needed another left-footed center back, knowing that Jan Vertonghen was heading to Belgium. Uh, you got good performances again from João Mario and from Grimaldo. Otamendi was good in this one. Florentino good. Uh, you get a goal from Gonzalo Ramos. He is, uh, he's got six goals in nine matches this season. I mean, that's a pretty good output for a, for a goal scorer for a 21-year-old. I know he's been um, he's bared the brunt of a lot of criticism from some people, but again, this game was different than the other one. Okay, this one was different. Benfica in this match, I thought were quite decent. Okay, I don't think they were great, but even when they fell behind, I wasn't concerned because we were getting chances, we were getting opportunities, and if we look at the opportunities, okay, twenty-seven shots in this one. Six of them on goal. That seems to be our barometer of how many shots on goal we get each match. 42 actions in the opponent's area for Benfica. 13 corners. 88% pass efficiency. We have a very high pass efficiency playing this style. 74% um, vertical pass efficiency. That's very good. But that's where some credit needs to be given to Enzo and to Florentino because they're the ones making a lot of those vertical passes and connecting them. So for those of you that say Florentino can't make a vertical pass and he only passes to the side, he has he has by far outgrown that that's that uh, criticism. Um, he has he has developed that part of his game and he continues to develop that part of his game. Um, you see Benfica winning every statistical you know category here, sixty seven percent ball possession, and this was a match that only got nervy afterwards. So. You look at it, you get the – I'm going to pull it up here. Okay. So you look at it again, like I said, and you you get an idea of where this is going, right? You get an idea that even though they've fallen behind, you can kind of see that they're Benfica are going to find the back of the net in this one. This one I was way, way more relaxed and confident than I was in uh, the Vivizella match. Okay, so Nedj gets the first goal right after Coffee. Coffee um, looks like Kofi to me, but it's uh, they're pronouncing it Coffee. He scores in the 39th. Three minutes later, Nedj scores kind of a frangle, really, a a weak goal, a dribbler that, that the goalie should have saved. And it's probably what earned that 3.1 rating for, uh, for the goalkeeper. But it trickles in, and Befica... No, they're at least going into the halftime level. And 45 plus four, you get <laughs> you get a, uh, the goalkeeper again. What, what was his name? His name is Zé Oliveira. You get him 
punching somebody in the head here. Who did he punch in the head again? Um, I'm pulling up the... Well, anyway, he comes out of his area, misses the ball. It was Nedish, wasn't it? I think Nedish gets his head to the ball, and he makes contact with the ball. The goalie never does, and the goalie's fists come through, and they hit Nedish in the head, okay? Um, scrolling to it right now. And yeah, it was Ba, excuse me, it was Alexander Ba who goes up. Ba gets his head to the ball and then gets double fisted right in the head by the goalkeeper. That's a penalty. Don't make any complaints, okay? Stop complaining. That is a penalty, okay? We've seen it enough, okay? That is a penalty. Dromario steps up, he buries it. It's 2 1. We go into halftime ahead, which is important. We come out into the second half, and again, you know, but if you could come out looking good, we we have a goal called off for offside, you know, uh, in the first couple moments of the second half. Um, the whistle goes up for offside, but we nearly did it early, and then we do get the goal a little bit later. The 56th minute, Gonzalo Ramos' right-footed goal from short distance. Another assist for João Mario. And uh, he is racking up the stats so far this season, Joel Mario. And you can say what you want about him. And I know um, last season he had a fantastic August as well, but he was much better this August than last August. And his his stat line doesn't lie about that. Uh, if you could take a three one lead, and I thought we were gonna, I was at this point thinking, oh, it's gonna be four five one today. We're we're good. We can start. And I think Alex, I think. Sorry, I think Roger Schmidt thought the same thing because I think he started to see guys warming up and you started to see that he was going to get some rest to some key guys. But then the third goal never comes and we get some we get some uh, substitutions for Pasuj. Finally, in the 67th, Peter Musa replaces Gonzalo Ramos. Um, or should I say Petar Musa? That's the correct pronunciation. And he nearly gets on the score sheet in the 69th with the right-footed shot from the center of the box close, but he misses right. But he gets on the end of a cross from Grimaldo. And Mefica look to have it in control. Again, you're making the other team play in their end of the pitch. You're making a, you're controlling the territory, which is so important. If you're going to play a high-pressing system like this, you have to control the territory. You can't press high if the ball isn't up there, Okay. And if you're up there and you have that kind of space for recovery, it's not so dangerous to play high. You know, you got even if your center backs aren't the ones that can make the recovery run, you got other players that can make it. However, this is actually the goal that I was thinking about earlier, where where Grimaldo was specifically was too far high for my liking, but not in the model they're playing. So I'm not criticizing Grimaldo here. Um, but the ball gets lost in midfield, okay? And it's a quick counter, and Enzo is stuck playing as the left center, as the left back. Okay, uh, he doesn't have the pace to to stick with the runner, and it was Juan Delgado, and he he finds Kofi, and Kofi scores, makes it three to two with ten minutes to go. And I said, here we go. This is the Benfica of last year. This is it's shown up again, and. It was a nervy last 10 minutes, I will say. But Benfica, again, still in control, still taking care of business. See a yellow card come out for, for Enzo. It seems like our players get cards for anything and everything. Um, 
Musa nearly seals the game away in the 86th, but it's uh, it's saved by by Zalivera. And we see it. We end up seeing the result out to the final whistle. 3-2 is the final in this one. This was the original round three match that was rescheduled. And Befica continued to get victories, but this one was close. This was the first real, you know, this one we, we surrendered goals. These were the first two goals we surrendered all season in the league. For me, not really Odie's fault. Uh, I know a lot of you disagree because I saw the I saw the Twitter blow up uh, about that and how bad we need another goalkeeper. But we needed a goal. If we're going to get another goalkeeper, it has to be a le- not just a legitimate. It has to be a guaranteed upgrade. Okay. And there's only so many goalkeepers better than him available that teams are willing to sell that we can afford. We're looking at a very small window of, of possibility of who we can sign. Um, and that's why the club rejected a bid from Ajax for Odie. Ajax made a, if I'm not mistaken, a 12 million euro bid and the club rejected it. All right. The previous match to that. Now this one. Uh, as we wind down, this one was at Boavista. And let me say first, the embarrassment that this match is going around the world again on television. A practically empty stadium simply because Boavista wants to charge prices to discourage Benfica uh, fans from uh, buying tickets. Furthermore, made even worse by the fact that in Sections other than the designated Benfica supporters section, Benfica <laughs> merchandise was not allowed in the stadium. João Gonçalves on his Fever Pitch podcast, okay, one of my go-tos every week. I listen to every episode he puts out. I, I love all of his content, but he talked about you know, not going to this game anymore because he's not going to spend the kind of money they're asking for and driving all day. And while, you know, and I don't know what these clubs are trying to do. They for too long have been too comfortable overcharging Benfica fans to fill their stadium and to hit all their quotas for the year in one game. However, when you don't get those prices, the market demands you lower the price of tickets and they don't do it. That tells me one of two things, okay? That tells me they either tells me that they either are not, you know, lack intelligence to be in charge of a football club, which I doubt. They are so anti Benfica that they don't want anybody in the state. They'd rather play in an empty stadium, or that the money's coming from somewhere else. And I think the most likely source is that they have a little neighbor there in that city who may or may not drop a little briefcase of money off, you know, to cover the differences. Because this, it's been said by so many people that they don't even believe that this is legal to to mandate what what you what people can wear in a stadium, what colors they can wear. <laughs> I mean, it's that ridiculous. This match was played a week ago, over a week ago, okay? I watched this from a hotel room in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, I drove to Cincinnati, Ohio to watch the Ohio Derby, to watch an MLS match between Columbus Crew and FC Cincinnati, two rivals separated by about an hour and a half of highway. Okay, very close in, in you know, 
the context of the size of the United States of America. Very, very close. It's next door in the context, right? In which, in which many fans, many families had, had members wearing kits of both teams, okay? Um, this is a derby that, you know, that divides families or whatever. I sat next to Columbus fans and Cincinnati fans. There, there's no rule saying you can't wear the other teams. You buy your ticket, you have a right to go in. In what type of free country and what type of free society do you can you not wear the jersey of a the team you support? And from what I'm hearing from other people who were there, they also were discouraging cheering for Benfica. One one Benfica podcaster, okay, even said he was there and in his his section to Young females, probably about 18, 19 years old, came in with Benfica jerseys. And the police came up and told them, the, I believe they said it was the PSP. It could have been the Guarda, the, the GNR, but I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly who the who the security or the, the police force was. Told them they could not be in that section with those. They had to take off those jerseys. Now. First of all, there's something incredibly wrong with grown men telling 18-year-old women to take their shirt off. If you can't see the problem in that, you have an even bigger problem. He said that luckily they had, you know, t-shirts underneath and it was no big deal. But they had to, you know, sit on their jerseys so they weren't visible. And it's ridiculous. This is not... Benfica fans need to stop going to these stadiums. I... I I'm sorry, and it's not at the expense of the team, and it's not to disrespect the players, but this will not stop until Benfica fans stop going to these stadiums, stop paying these teams' bills, let them go under financially, let them reap what they sow, okay? Stop paying these outrageous prices. They will, they will bring them down, and they will get rid of these rules when their livelihood is on the line. There is no excuse for this. There is no place for this. In a civilized country, in the 21st century, okay, there is in a democratic country, there is no place for this type of authoritarianism. There's absolutely no place for it. It's not normal. It's not okay. It's not understandable like they want to make it out to be. What it is, is, is it's extreme jealousy that we have more fans than everybody else combined almost, okay? It's extreme jealousy that we're the only ones that fill stadiums. If they they don't have to worry about this with our rivals because they, they don't fill the stadiums. They fill them halfway. This is pressure from the big brother in that city. And I've said it before, until this man is no longer with us, there will be a stain and a cancer on Portuguese football for as long as he is involved. And he will be involved until he's six feet under the ground. I'm sure of it. And while he's there, there is no, there is just no, there's just an embarrassment that is this league. And these type of things keep going on, whether it's Maritimo. I'm happy to see Maritimo where they are this season because of the, they pulled this last year. And, Boa Vista, I expect better from Boa Vista. They're a former champion, okay? I don't know what has happened lately that they, you know, in the last 
15 years that they've turned in. Yes, they got they got screwed because of that big brother in that city. They went all the way down to the district level. They went down three divisions while he went like this, you know. And that golden whistle, as we talk about, he went off he scathed, unscathed, scot-free, while they got almost killed. They got almost put out of business. Yet when we go there, they put these rules on us. They put these prices on us. When they were in the district, in the local leagues, when they weren't even playing in the National League, our club went there to play a fundraiser for them. You know how they th their fans thanked us by chanting SLB, SLB, filhos da puta, SLB. That's how they thank us. Why are we still, why are we helping these teams? And until our fan base and our organized fans get together and make a mission statement and put it out there and follow through that this will not be tolerated, that our money, we will vote with our wallets. This is what we need to do as Benfiquistas. Vote with our wallets and not go to these stadiums. Let the match be played in an empty stadium. Stay outside. Cheer from the for the team from outside the stadium. Give your business to the cafes and to the to the restaurants in and around. Okay, it's not their fault. So you can go to Porto, you know where Bovis is, or you can go to Famalicão. You can go to Funchal. Funchal is a little expensive because you got to fly, but you get my point. You can go to these places and you can still stimulate their local economy while hurting that club, and that's what I think needs to start happening. Until that happens, they're going to keep pulling this garbage. Um, they're going to keep pulling this garbage. Because we're doing nothing about it. So that said, um, you go in there in a half-empty stadium and they win 3-0, okay? Again, I watched this, you know. Um, I didn't watch it live. I was driving when they played live. I watched this when I got to my hotel. And I kind of watched it somewhat and fast-forward and plus 1.5 plus 1.5 speed. So I'm just going to go over it. Moratu scored first off, uh, off of... Uh, a set piece, I believe it was João Mario with an assist on that one too. But here on FOTMOB, it's not crediting him with the assist. Um, he was João Mario was the man of the match in this one, and he would score on an assist from Peter Musa in the 67th, and then he would put it away from the penalty spot in the 82nd. Nice, easy three points, um, comfortable win for Benfica. Uh, we got to see the debut of Oshness in this one. He Came in in the 89th minute for Enzo, and Ristic came in for a for one minute for Grimaldo. Not sure where the fitness level is for Ristic, but at the end of the day, it is it is uh, Benfica taking all three points. So there are the three matches last week. Uh, nine points taken. We're at 15 now. Let's take a look then at the table. I'm gonna pull up the table here on sofa score for everyone to see this has now already been updated on the on the www.mrbenfica website okay so www.mrbenfica.com go there uh i got the i got the up-to-date table up there i'm going to be updating the web page uh as soon as i can in the next couple of days hopefully but uh here is the table coming up on your screen there and as you see benfica top of the table five matches five victories 13 goals for three against 15 points second right now is braga they had a huge win uh yesterday in the menu derby and i'm glad it was actually televised on goal tv um that was exciting 
Uh, Nino had the call on that one too. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Same kind of finish. Um, no, it wasn't from the penalty spot, but the placard said five minutes of stoppage time and he had seven minutes and 30 seconds of stoppage time. Braga get the winner. Why? Because Vittorio were wasting time. They were wasting time after the after 90 minutes. When you do that, time gets added back on. But Braga right now sitting two points behind us. And they actually have more goals than we do score. They're the highest scoring offense in the two goal. They have 18 goals for three against. Third place is the Prison Stripes. Uh, they have four victories and one loss. 12 goals for four against, 12 points. Their, their B team, who they just gave 5 million euros to for a goalie that's not going to play. Their fourth, which interestingly enough, they have four victories and one defeat. I'm talking, of course, about Porto Munes or Porto Munes, if you want to say it correctly. I say Porto Munes because uh, we're up to like 31, 31 player transfers between the two teams. Uh, they have 12 points as well in fourth. Boa Vista now sit fifth after their 1-0 victory today over Passos de Ferreira. Boa Vista have three wins and two defeats. Four goals for six against. Sixth place is Chaves. The Flavians have eight points, including three of them picked up in a win over Sporting. Casapia, the newcomers, are also newcomers, but they're newcomers in the sense that they haven't been in the first division for 80-some years. Casapia are seventh with eight points, two victories, two draws, one defeat. Isturil are eighth with seven points, coached, of course, by our former manager, Nelson Verissimo. Uh, they got two victories, one draw, two defeats, seven, four, five against. Casapia, uh, interestingly enough, have only lost to us, I, and they've only scored three goals, but they've only allowed that one goal to us when uh, Gonçal Ramos just outmuscled everybody in, in order to push the ball into the goal. So uh, quite a dream debut for Casapia for the Casapians. Uh Sporting down in ninth, not where we're used to seeing them. They're going through a little bit of a mini-crisis right now. They didn't look bad uh, on on Friday night, though. Uh, they went to Istoril and won. They got two wins, a draw, and two defeats. Eight goals for eight allowed, seven points. Tenth place is Roca. They've got seven points as well. Vitoria sit 11th now with two victories, three defeats for six points. They're on a three-match losing streak. Uh, Vizela dropped to 12th. One victory, two draws, two defeats, five goals for six allowed. Uh, Gilles Vicente have five points as well. They're in 13th. Riwav, the, the second division's champion last year, they have five points right now. One victory, two draws, two defeats. But that one victory is an important one. It came against the prison stripes. It came against Puerto. And Santa Clara out of the relegation uh, zone for now in 15th place. They have four points, uh, one victory, one draw, three defeats, four goals, four, six against. Family Co sitting in the playoff spot right now. It's very, very early with much of the most of the league still to go, obviously, with 29 rounds still to go. Family Co's got one goal scored, six allowed, one victory, one draw, three defeats, four points. And then Passos de Ferreira and Maritimo together at the bottom right now. 
zero points, zero for those two sides. Um, not sure what's going on there. I mean, you know, Vashko Siabra and and Cesar Peixota, two coaches I I like. I don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, I there there's a lot more going on than just how they're coaching, but uh, they've really got to turn it around. I mean, they're giving up double digit goals. Pasfahed have given up eleven. Maritimu fifteen. Uh, Pasfahed have scored two, both against us, ironically, and three goals scored by Maritimu. Let's come over here for a moment and look at the top players. Right now, João Mario is the top-rated player in the league. You can see that right there with an 8.06 rating on SofaScore. Just uh, about 0.26 ahead of Pot. Simon Banza is right behind them with 7.7. Let's look at goals real quickly here and see who's leading. And that is Simon Banza, uh, the Braga forward who they signed this offseason from Famalicão. He's got five goals. Romario is second with four. And Pot, Taremi, and Aziz with three. And then you got a number of players. This list probably goes on for a very long time that have two goals. We look at assists really quickly. And so we bring assists up real quick. It is Vizela's Rafael Guzu who has the most assists. Uh, he's got three, while Pot has two. Marcus Edwards, two. Kevin, uh, Kevin, the Cape Verdean international playing for Chaves, has two. So does Stefan Ostakiu, the Canadian. And Alexander Ba, there's one of our guys in there with two. This list of two goes on probably forever as well. Okay, let's look at the fixtures for a next round. Why don't we uh, in Liga Portugal? Uh, let's take a look here. And I've lost it. Okay, so in Liga Portugal, next round we will have – I'm going to pull it up right now. Okay, so in the next round, round six. There we go. Sorry for the delay, everybody. Round six, Vitoria hosts Santa Clara. Uh, Famalicão hosts Benfica Saturday early. It's it's an early kickoff here on the east coast of the United States. It's 10.30 a.m., 7.30 Pacific for those of you out on the west coast, which makes it a 3.30 p.m. kickoff in Portugal. Sporting versus Portimonense. Uh, an hour and a half later, so as soon as Benfica finish, uh, one o'clock Eastern time, and then Porto versus Shavsh. Who is my friend Dennis gonna root for? His hometown Shavsh or his or his uh, you know prison stripes that he loves so much? Uh, I love the torment. So <laughs> they will face off at three thirty p.m. Uh, time Saturday. So. Looking at it here, uh, the rest of the round, Passos host Casapia, Roca host Povista, Maritimo host Gil Vicente, Riuav host Braga, and Vizela host Istoril Praia. All right. Going to take a real quick break here. I will be right back with you, and we will talk about the women's team briefly. I have to give them their due, and we'll be done very, very soon. Thank you for hanging with me this long, I know. Uh, as far as going forward, I'm trying to get these these episodes out more frequently so we can go over fewer matches in each one. But again, it it it, it it's hard to uh, it's hard to do that uh, when you play this many matches in this short of uh, in short of a span. So 
hopefully uh, I can get some more out. But uh, again, don't forget Tuesday, September the 6th, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, p.m. Uh, I'll be on Instagram Live with Nino Torres on his on his Instagram uh, feed. He's at ESP Nino 74, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'll tweet it out beforehand. Uh, so if you follow me on the social media, you will get that. Okay, I will be right back in 30 seconds to talk women's football. I'm back. I think I said 30 minutes. I meant 30 seconds. If I just said that I would be back in 30 minutes, I meant 30 seconds. Here we are again. Uh, We're talking women's football now, okay? Um, Cannot go another episode without shouting out the ladies. They did it again. Another piece of silverware coming to the Museo Cosmodomio at the Stadio de Luz. Big, big victory. Winning 4-1 to over Sporting. In the Super Cup, the Super Tasa Candido Oliveira at the Leiria Municipal Stadium or the Magalhães Psoa Municipal Stadium in Leiria. Um, again, uh, we we know because I think I've I've said this in past episodes. We have some injury woes, okay, um, and they didn't get better because, um, as you've probably read already, and it's going across the bottom of your screen right now, Jessica Silva. After this match, reported to national team duty, and the national team's doctors sent her back, sent her home, saying she is not fit to compete. Uh, she's bringing in an injury, and she's rehabbing at the club. Uh, what exactly it is, I don't really remember off the top of my head. I think it had something to do with a hamstring. Uh, I think it was a hamstring. Um, I don't know, a hamstring. It wasn't a tear. Because it's not that type of a layoff, but a, a strain. And um, she she joins the injured list, which already includes Katarina Amado, uh, who's going to be out for a few months as well, having picked up an injury at the Euro this summer. And a shout-out while we're at it to the Portuguese women's uh, national team, who while Benfica were playing Vizela, they were playing in Serbia against Serbia in a must-win match to leapfrog Serbia into second place in the group and leave themselves... Uh, chance to get to next year's Women's World Cup. They did do that. Okay, Kika with the winning goal in the 45th minute, just before halftime. And Portugal held that lead, and they would win the game 2-1. Uh, to one. I didn't get a chance to see it because Canalones got uh, geo-blocked. Uh, they don't have the rights here. I tried to log into the VPN. And to throw it up while I was watching Benfica, and it was just not it wasn't allowing me to access it because I was on a VPN. Then it wasn't allowing me to access it because of the geo blocking. So I wasn't able to watch this match. I saw the highlights. Um, the goalkeeper. This is off topic, but the goalkeeper, our goalkeeper Ruth Costa, should be Portugal's goalkeeper. I don't know what more Francisco Neto, the manager, needs to see to make that decision. Because once again, Inish Pereira gives up a goal that she has no business giving up. Uh, much like in the Euro, beat over her head again. She's just not 
she's not playing well. There was a time where she was the best goalkeeper, and he didn't start her then, and now she's not, and he's it's just but the Benfica girls did well, okay. Um Andrea Andrea Norton is the best player on that national team. I think we have why it took so long for us to sign Andrea Norton, I don't know. I'm very happy she's in our club now, you know, the former Sporting Braga midfielder. But she is the best player. I think she's the best player on Benfica. She's the best player on the Portuguese national team. Uh, She's so crucial. She does so much work in midfield. And this match against Sporting was such an example of everything she brings. And they're really no match for us in midfield anymore, Sporting. With the decisions they have made, with the players they have offloaded, they are no longer uh, a match for us in, in midfield especially. Um, also in this match, you get, let's see here, you get continued growth from Andrea Faria as well. I gotta, I gotta give her a shout as well. She was, uh, fantastic again and her growth and her evolution has just been enormous. It's just been amazing to see, you know, as as they come through and she just keeps getting better on the ball. She keeps moving the ball better. Each each day that goes, she gets better and better with the physical aspect. This was a player who used to be knocked over all the time. Um, she really she really is just putting her her body. She's learning to use her her body. She's learning to be strong on her feet. And from a footballing standpoint, she's getting so good at just with the ball at her feet, making passes, finding the channels to deliver that ball through. Uh, I was really really impressed with Andrea Faria once again. Um, Chloe is, is Chloe Lacasse is a never ending energizer bunny out there. She's work rate is, is impressive and unmatched. I mean, she is, she's applying pressure all the time. She's getting into the right spaces. Um, she was just crucial, crucial in this game as well. We did fall behind to Sporting, believe it or not. Um, they scored first, but then we we got our we got our thing going. Ana Vitorio would would pick up a goal off a header. She is also playing at a very high level, and I have to say that what I'm noticing is when Kika is not on the pitch, um, Ana Vitoria takes this leadership role on in a footballing sense. I'm not I don't mean she starts yelling, but she starts being at the center of all the plays and being the link up between all of the players. She becomes. The hub of the wheel, if you will. If you picture a wheel with the hub and then spokes going off, she is the hub, and everything comes into her and then goes out. Um, she gets a goal off a set piece here. Nicole Raisla returns to action in this match. Super emotional. Couldn't be happier for her. She scores the fourth goal in extra time, and she fills up with tears because it was such a long, hard recovery for her. There is a Bastidor uh, video out there. I think it's on YouTube. I'm not positive. But you can watch her recovery and uh, just how hard it was for her to get back on the pitch. Um, great, great to see her come in. And it looks to me like my my original my original predictions are coming true. In terms of goalkeeping, Ruth Koshla seems to be replacing Katie Talbert, at least in these bigger matches. We will see going forward if that continues. Benfica now have a a playoff round against Rangers. The draw came out on September the 1st. Benfica drew Rangers, the Scottish champions. So either Benfica or Rangers will go to the group stage. I think this is a good draw for us. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. The first leg's going to be played either September 20th or September 21st. The second leg a week later. 
And I believe Benfica have the first leg at home. I'm going to, I'm going to double that for you, but uh, double check that for you. But um, yeah, Benfica's playing really good right now. They're playing really well. And with Katarina out right back, it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, is a little bit of a revolving door in this Sporting match. We saw Lucia Alves switch from the left to the right, so that Daniela Santos, I believe, is her name, Dani, they call her. Would she came from Family Cone. She's a she's an attacker, but she's also being developed into a wing back. She played on the left. Um, so we we see Felipe Patel moving some pieces around, and I would like for this team to be a little deeper. And have at least two solid people at every position. For whatever reason, we don't keep extra outside backs. We just we just take a, an attacker and put him in that situation. We've seen Marta Sintra play outside back. We've seen Ana Vitoria play outside back. Um, I don't know if it's a budgetary issue. I don't know if they don't want to bring in a player to sit. I don't know what it is, but with with Katarina out. Um, we have to be creative in in this one. Philippa gets creative and she puts Lucy Alves there, which is fine. Um, it ends up working out because if you can get the result they need, you know, you get goals from from Chloe, from Nicole, from Ana Vitoria, and whatnot. It was it was a stellar performance, and if I'm not mistaken, the ninth piece of silverware that this team has won now in their fifth year of existence um they go back it's season five of the women's team just like season five of mr benfica they will they started the same year i did um the league will start after this international break but as you know it's the same i believe it's the same format as last year with the qualifying phase that for us means very little um other than that it's you know seven or eight friendlies or nine friendlies to start the season in reality we only have to come in the top four um so it doesn't really matter how we do against Sporting in that game. But, of course, we don't want to show too much either. So normally Sporting wins these early season matches. They beat us in the Super Cup last year. But it was a day in which everything that could go wrong went wrong. And then they beat us in the league, you know, pretty handily. But, again, on a day where you could leave a lot to be desired in goalkeeping, especially that day. Um, in the Super Cup, we had Leticia playing. But in the league game, we had Carolina Below and that was the game where she got absolutely massacred on social media. Um, unacceptable to, to to do that to a player, to an athlete, to a human. But that that was the match where she really left a lot to be desired. And I'm really surprised though with with Katie Talbert and now with Ruth Kosha ahead of her that she hasn't gone on loan somewhere so she can play. Uh, we'll see that. I assume there's still time in the women's uh, transfer market. I'm not sure what their transfer window looks like. Um, I should know that that's very, you know, lazy and irresponsible of me to not have that information, but I don't know it at, at this moment. Um, but again, if you can complete control of this match, okay. Yeah. They gave up a goal, but they're sporting. We're hanging on by the, by the threads, you know, trying to, to stay with us. Um, again, I put a note here that, that Andrea Norton's the best player in Portugal. I believe it. And, and to this point in the season, she absolutely is. Uh, again, we got these very, very important Champions League qualifiers, the final playoff round. Get through that. We're back in the league. We're back in the group stage. We're back among the 16 best. And maybe we can add to our, you know, get a few more points than we did last season. That is the growing process. That is where we are. That's where the project is. Um, I'm very excited to get more, uh, to see more of this women's team. 
Um, I watched this one really late at night when I arrived. I was traveling this day as well, and I was in Buffalo, New York, which is about eight hours of driving from where I live. It's where I stayed for the night, and I watched this. Um, of course, I had recorded it on BTV, and BTV only had the blank screen with the commentary, so I didn't want. I managed to get onto Canal Loans and watch about an hour of it, uh, maybe a little less than that. But again, I'm uh, impressed with the with Benfica. I'm impressed with their play. I'm impressed with Philippa Paton in the way she makes decisions. Not everybody is, but I'm I'm glad that there's there's discussion about it because that brings the level and that brings the visibility and it shows how much more relevant this team is than some want to believe. This is a big part of the club. The women's football team is a big part of the club. The future for women's football is 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 astronomical. I think it's again, I've said this and I'll continue to say this. This is going to blow up. It is going to, and by that, I mean, it's going to become huge. The women, the UEFA Women's Champions League is going to be huge. I mean, I really think it's only a matter of time until all the best players in the world are in Europe. Okay. Um, that's not good news for the U.S.'s and WSL, but I really believe they cannot compete with what's coming for the Champions League because of the name of the clubs that are involved, including us. Including us, but Juventus, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Manchester City. Come on. What can a North Carolina Courage do to compete with that? Okay. What can they possibly do? Okay. You can play in front of a couple hundred people or you can go play for Juventus when when at least once a year they fill the, the uh, Allianz Stadium or the Audi Arena, whatever they call the, the stadium there that – in uh, the, Juvent the Juventus Arena there in Torino, you know, it, or you can play, they've announced, you know, um, Barcelona's playing all of their women's Champions League matches at the Camp Nou. You're going to play there or you're going to play and carry North Carolina? Come on, let's be real for a minute. Let's be real for a minute, okay? I think I think the future is heading into Europe, and I've said this before, and I see it kind of following the, the path I kind of envisioned. So, um, yeah, women's football is going to be huge. And as the season goes on, I'll have more and more coverage of them. And I like to put them in their own episode so I can really dive deep into it. And it's not two hours into the episode like it is right now. Well, I've probably lost most of you. I thank everyone, though, for hanging with me this long. Um, again, I'll be back. My plan now is to be back midweek some point, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere, and uh, recap the match with Maccabi Haifa tomorrow, the UEFA Champions League. Again, I know nothing about Maccabi Haifa, so I'll just react, you know, after we see the match. Um, also, on the women's side, Portugal's women's national team has the last qualifying match tomorrow against Turkey. They're kicking off an hour before Benfica's men's team kicks off in the Champions League. But they're facing Turkey. They win, and they're through to the playoffs. And then, and then in the playoffs, it's all about who they draw, and it's a two-legged battle to see who goes to Australia and New Zealand next year for the Women's World Cup. And this is a great, great opportunity for these girls. Uh, a national team that's backbone is comprised of our players. So I'll be watching both of those, obviously, tomorrow and maybe getting some work done for my real job, but we'll see. Um, that's about it. If you have questions, concerns, uh, comments, Hit me up at Benfica Mister or on my Twitter, my Twitter handle that you see right there. That's at Mike Agostino at M I K E A G O S T I N H O. That's my my personal Twitter. Hit me up there if you want. 
Um, if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't by now and you're still watching, thank you. Hit that subscribe button. I am horrible about reminding people to hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you're listening, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And wherever ratings are available, please give a five-star rating and leave me a nice little write-up, even if it's just, uh, you know, we like the show, I like the show, whatever. That makes it more visible and lets me get this out to more and more Benfica fans, more English-language Benfica fans scattered throughout the world. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. I'll be back later this week. Don't forget, if you're interested, check me out on Nino's uh, Instagram Live on Tuesday night. I'm staying up late for this one, so uh, I'll pay the price for it Wednesday morning, but it's more than worth it to get to talk to my friend Nino and to talk Portuguese football and uh, obviously, you know, have Benfica's back in the in the conversation. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode. That's going to do it. Uh, I'll be back, like I said, later this week. Um, don't forget to follow the PTB Media Network, like I said, on YouTube. And also check out www.parkingthebusmedia.com. Okay, this is a Mr. Befica, a production of the PTB Media Network. And I'll be back later this week. Have a great week, everybody. Kehega Befica. And remember, use the hashtag. If you love football, you love Befica. I'll see you next time.